This is Matt Andrews. Matt uh, is a part of our congregation here. Uh, you will see him oftentimes, either the 9, 30, 11 o'clock service, playing the drums back here in one of our worship bands. And so uh, Matt does uh, and works with people all the time with regard to exercise. I've known him more than 20 years, and we have a lot of great men and women in the church who work with uh, folks in the exercise field, but I've known Matt a lot longer, so I, I asked him to come up. Just answer a few questions about exercise. I, I actually could probably tell you what he's going to tell you, but when you look at me, you would much rather hear it from a professional, all right? I know that. All right. So, uh, Matt, tell us some of the great advantages of exercise. Why would we want to participate in any kind of physical exercise? First of all, I've got to give credit to Hans and Franz. They could not be here today, but I am here to pump you up. Okay, so in all seriousness, um, the two most common and popular benefits of exercise would be gain lean muscle tone and lose body fat, okay? That's our vanity, um, but it's also for health. Uh, as we get older, uh, a lot of times, you know, our blood pressure readings go up. We have uh, higher than normal cholesterol. Our doctor's saying we got to do something about those things. So we can turn to exercise to uh, modify and bring those readings down. So those are things that exercise can take away uh, that, are, that are good. Um, positive self-esteem, positive uh, self-image are, are good things that you can take away from exercise dumping stress, lowering physical and mental stress that we all deal with no matter what our occupation, you know, um, life gets in the way for all that. So when we exercise, it not only strengthens a part of our body, it eliminates some of the bad things from our body and gives us better mood, better sense of self-esteem and helps rid ourselves of the stress, the mental stress? For sure, for okay. sure. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, you know, when people come in to work out, um, many times they're in a bad mood, grumpy, um, and by the time they're leaving, they have a smile on their face, you know, they, they're showing Christ's love uh, as they walk out the door. You want to do a couple exercises with them before I start into the sermon? <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. Thing, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Looks like we don't have enough time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what your favorite exercise is. Right now, I'm into um, commuting back and forth to work on my uh, mountain bike. Um, you know, I get to check a box of getting exercise for an hour. My 18-year-old son, Corbin, is super proud of me because I'm reducing my carbon footprint. Uh, and, you know, I'm saving money at the gas pump, it's, so it's, it's worked out good. So. Matt, thanks a million. Appreciate you. you letting us know a little bit more about how important the physical exercise okay. stuff is. Really good. Thanks. Now, what physical exercise is to the body, spiritual exercise is to our soul. And, and if you're a guest today, we're, we're, we're delighted that you're here. And we've been in a series for the last few weeks called Cross Training. And we've been looking at this model of physical exercise, physical training as a spiritual or as a physical example of spiritual needs. Because you know, every believer, every disciple of Jesus Christ needs to learn how to take up his cross and follow after Jesus Christ. So we're all in a sense of cross training. And, and today we're going to talk a little bit about exercising regularly from a spiritual standpoint of view. I've always been fascinated how, how often the New Testament uses physical exercise as an illustration 
of, of spiritual principles. Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 11 says, no training seems pleasant at the time. In fact, it seems painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of godliness and peace. It does that for those who have become trained by it. And you know that physical exercise is not always comfortable, but through that process, we improve. Same thing is true spiritually. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27 is, and I like it in the American Standard Version, it reads it this way, but I buffet my body daily and bring it into bondage. Now, the reason I like that translation is because on the bad days, I can read it like this, I buffet my body daily. <laughs> But the passage I really want you to focus on this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, Paul writes to Timothy, this young preacher, and he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I want you to notice what Paul writes to Timothy in this passage, because he's giving Timothy his best wisdom and advice as Timothy grows up to lead the kingdom uh, as the second generation of Christians in the first century. He says, Timothy, stay away from godless myths. We understand that one pretty good. Uh, avoid ideologies that stand in contrast to the sacred truth. Have nothing to do with false teachings. Now, how do you know something is a false teaching? You have to know what the true teaching of God is first. And so the, the, the point is, Timothy, know your word so that when the godless myths come up, you'll be able to dismiss them and won't get them confused. That's good advice. The way you know that something isn't true is by knowing the truth. And of course, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It'll set you free from the godless myths of this world. But what about old wives' tales? We think we know what old wives' tales are. All right, here's an example of what we, would, what we would call an old wives' tale. Break a mirror and you'll have seven years of bad luck. How many of you have heard that growing up? You're like, break a mirror and you'll have seven years of bad luck. How many of you were scared to death when you broke a mirror? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, I, did you know that there is the rest? Of, I never knew there was the rest of that story. Do you know what the rest of the story is? Uh, it says, if you bury the broken mirror in the moonlight, your luck will be restored instantly. <laughs> we started known that about 20, 40 uh, years ago. You know, break a mirror, you, know, uh, you go out and bury it. All right, we know today that such things are harmless and laughable. We, we look at them and think, yeah, sure. But in Paul's day, superstition was oftentimes raised to a level of importance equal to that of the Word of God. And Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, you don't take any of these superstitions. Don't allow the people in the church to elevate superstitions to an equal level with the authority of the Word of God. Timothy, remember this, nothing is equal to the authoritative Word of God. You and I need to remember that too. There is no ideology, no philosophy, no superstition that even comes close to the authoritative Word of God. And so in contrast, Paul writes here, he said, train yourself to be godly. And he uses the illustration of physical training. Now, I find this really interesting. The English letters of the equivalent word when, when Paul says physical training uh, are these. You can see it on the screen this morning. Uh, does that look familiar to you in any way? It, we, right out of the Greek language comes our English word gymnasium. All right? It, it is all about physical training. Many folks want the benefits of exercise, but don't want to go to the gym to make it happen. 
A recent article in the Wall Street Journal asks, why work out when you can just buy the clothes and look like you did? This is, this is really interesting. The article explores the growing trend in athletic apparel marketing. People are buying sports clothing without actually practicing the exercise or the sport. The article notes that, quote, the U.S. athletic apparel market will increase by nearly 50% to more than $100 billion in retail sales by the year 2020, driven in part by this consumer desire to look fit without doing any exercise. Consumers, it says, will be snapping up stretchy tees and leggings that will never see the fluorescent lights of a gymnasium. Paul says physical exercise is a good thing. It has some value, and we know that to be true. But not nearly as much value, he says, as godly living. Training for godliness has value for all things, he says, both for the life now and the future. Perhaps a better wording of the, of the text would be this. It is of benefit in every way, holding promise for both this present life and our future life. Now, what is true of sports apparel is also true of our spiritual apparel. Too many of us would rather look the part than be the part. So let's assume that we're convicted by what we read in the Scriptures and that we really do want to succeed at this cross-training, that we really do want to grow spiritually strong, that we want our faith to be better tomorrow than it is today. Now, we know what physical exercise involves. We know the muscle groups that are important, biceps and triceps and your abdominal muscles and your calf and thigh muscles. All the, we, we can identify those readily. But what are the spiritual muscles that need to be exercised and trained? That's a, that's a good question because spiritual muscles are not so easily identified. However, let me, let me suggest that Jesus has given us a little bit of insight into what muscles need your focus, spiritually speaking. Now, you'll recognize this passage. You may even know this passage by heart. But I'll be honest with you, I, I never really looked at this passage in the context of spiritual exercise. Mark records the story in chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Jesus has been teaching among several of the religious leaders and in verse 28, this is what we read. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. What we know what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your being and love others equally as well. Your whole being. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus could have actually said it that way. Love God with your whole being. But he didn't. He broke it down into four segments. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is there something significant about him saying it that way? Well, most of out of that list, we would understand with all your soul first. I mean, that is our spirit. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the three most important and most difficult spiritual disciplines 
uh, I, th I think, to, to master, praying, fasting, and giving. Uh, I believe that these relate best to loving God with all of our souls. This is a spiritual exercise. We, we, we get that. They each represent some aspect of sacrifice, by the way. Prayer is a sacrifice of our time, energy, and focus. Fasting is a sacrifice of our basic needs. And giving is a sacrifice of our possessions, which really are, are very important to us. And so prayer demonstrates our faith in his purpose for our lives. Fasting demonstrates our faith in his ability to sustain our lives. And giving demonstrates our faith in his promise to provide whatever we need for our lives. In each exercise, we express our dependence upon God. That's loving him with all of our soul. We talked about that. I won't say any more about it. But what are the other three? We could spend a lot of time on each, but let me just give you a glimpse into each. Each one of these could be a whole series. But let me just give you a glimpse. And the first one simply would be this, compassion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, in our minds, when we read heart, we see an emotional roller coaster. Emotions are up one day, they're down the next. Or sometimes they're up one moment and down the next moment. Emotions are just fickle. They're not dependable. They're all over the place. And so when we hear the word heart, we think of our emotions that are all over the place. But the Hebrew mind saw it quite differently. Because the heart was the principal organ of the chest, because it came in pretty much the center of the body in their mindset, it was, it was seen as the representative of a person's core values. It, it was the center of a man's moral fiber. In the New Testament concept, there is absolutely nothing fickle about the heart. It is not up one minute and down the next. It is the steady beat that holds your values close. In the New Testament, the heart is the wellspring of compassion. And compassion needs to be exercised. Now, you need to understand what compassion is too. Compassion isn't seeing a touch, touching picture on TV about world hunger and, and just being moved, maybe even to tears. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but 10 minutes later, you're thinking about what you're going to do for the weekend. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't call that compassion. Compassion and tears are not synonymous. Having your heart touched, you know, uh, that moment of heartache even, that's not the same as compassion. Compassion is when you see a need, whatever that need is, and you cannot help yourself but meet it. When the Bible says that Jesus was moved to, with compassion when he saw the crowds, he did something about it. He responded to their needs because you, true compassion is something you just can't keep it back. You're going to burst if you don't do something. So I'd ask you this morning, what is God moving in your life compassionately for you to accomplish? And if there's a need that you know of, and you see somebody who has a need, and you're about to burst because you think somebody's got to do something about that, then can I tell you, just do it. Don't wait to be asked by the church, just do it. It might be a widow or a widower next door to you who needs some assistance. Just do it. 
It might be a middle schooler that's struggling with his or her math and you're really good at math and you could sit down and you know help them work through their problems. It might be a coworker who's fighting cancer and just needs help getting their yard mowed. You can go over and mow their yard. It might be the international student or the new immigrant that lives just down the street who needs to know that they are welcome here and you can say, let's go get a cup of coffee and let them know that they are welcome in this community, they are welcome in your life, that they are welcome in this church. Do some heart exercises. Act compassionately. And when you do, you will find yourself loving Jesus more. Now, now Matt was telling us that there are strengthening exercises that do, do your muscles good, but also when you exercise, it eliminates some bad things from your life. When you, when you act compassionately, it eliminates the feel and the need to gossip. In the comic strip, Dennis the Menace, young Dennis is whispering into the ear of his neighbor, Mr. Wilson. You remember Mr. Wilson in the comic strip, right? And this is what Dennis says. Now listen good, Mr. Wilson. I can only tell you this once because my dad told me not to repeat it. <laughs> know anybody like that? There's a little bit of Dennis in all of us, I think. Research shows that gossip leaves us all feeling smugly superior to the one who's the object of our hearsay. Isn't it a shame that we feel the need to put others down in order to elevate our own selves. We seldom recognize the damage that gossip can be. Uh, other research has shown this, that when you tell gossip stories on somebody else, the person who hears you telling that down the road, maybe days, it may be weeks later, when they remember the story, do you know what they remember? They are more likely to remember that you told the gossip than they are to remember the gossip about the other person. You're really setting yourself up when you do this. You are creating your own bad press by gossiping. A retiring pastor after a lifetime of ministry said that in all the years that he met with people, and he said, I think I heard confess just about every sin there is. He said, but there was one I never heard from anybody. No one ever confessed to the sin of gossip. Rabbi Joseph uh, Telushkin, author of Words That Hurt and Words That Heal, writes this. He says, if you can't go 24 hours without drinking, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, you are addicted to gossip. Proverbs 2019 says, gossips can't keep secrets. So avoid people who talk too much. Be a friend with a compassionate tongue. Exercise it with grace. Love him with all of your heart. Here's the second picture, and that is intellect. Love him with all of your mind. Focus your thinking in areas that strengthen your faith. The brain, the brain is absolutely amazing. You can drive your car, talk on the phone, and listen to the radio all at the same time. You can eat lunch, check your email, and watch the new news report on the TV all at the same time. You can sit upright in a pew, listen to a sermon, and sleep soundly all at the same time. 
the brain is amazing. But the more we divide our focus, the weaker the brain gets. Now, I know we, we talk a lot about multitasking, but sometimes that may not be the best thing. Research indicates that whenever you pay attention to something, it is the prefrontal cortex that takes over. And the prefrontal cortex of the brain covers both left and right side, and it goes into action to focus your, your mind, your intellect, on, on whatever needs to be done. However, when you are trying to do two things, when you are multitasking, you're trying to do two things, the prefrontal cortex divides. And half of it works on one problem, and half of it works on the other problem, and now you have less brain power to work with both of them. And researchers say that when you add a third task at the same time, you'll often forget one of the other two, because with every task you add, the brain's focus grows weaker. Might have something to do with when God says, don't have a divided mind. Don't have two focuses in life. You, you can only focus on him. You can't focus on the world and love it, and you can't focus on him and love him at the same time. God tells us that to love him with all of our minds requires focus, and I love this verse from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think about such things. Exercising right thinking not only is a positive thing, it eliminates the negative things and the pessimistic things. There will always be negative people to make life miserable. And once again, we somehow have concluded that a negative response somehow makes us more positive, but it, but it doesn't. When you are negative, it, it really makes you feel down, and it makes everybody else around you feel down. According to Dr. Eleanor Ken Kenarthy, the average person, the average person, are you ready for this, has more than 200 negative thoughts a day. Worries, jealousies, insecurities, cravings for forbidden things, etc. People who are struggling with depression have as many as 600 negative thoughts a day. Now, you cannot eliminate the negative thought coming through your mind, but you can push it on through. You do not have to dwell on it. You do not have to use it as the basis for your thinking. Don't lose your mind. Exercise it in loving God and being focused on the excellent. Let that prefrontal cortex focus on whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is right, whatever is good. Think on those things. Thirdly, our intention. Love him with all of your strength. Now, this, folks, is a matter of the will, the intentional part of our decision-making process. It is with the will that commitment is made. Our will is one of those areas where we've been created in the image of God that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom operates off of instinct, but we, we operate with a will. We have a choice. And we can choose to make a difference when we know it's the right thing. And God is saying, love me with all of your will. Make a commitment. It is with your will that you make a commitment to marriage. 
knowing that maybe not everything will go easily or smoothly or well in your marriage, but you've made a commitment. It is a matter of your will. And in that way, we are different than any other part of creation. Your will has to be engaged in loving God or the rest of the areas won't work either. Let me see if I can illustrate this way. For as long as I can remember, from my teenage years on, Mountain Dew has always been my favorite pop. All through college, ever since, it's always been Mountain Dew. However, a few years ago, I made the willful decision to stop drinking regular Mountain Dew because of the added sugar and calories and the weight and the stuff as you get older, that gets harder to take off. So I decided I was going to start drinking diet Mountain Dew. Now, I got to tell you, that switch was not an easy switch, but I was determined to make it. So it took about three weeks before it started tasting right. Now it tastes really fine, but I am facing another willpower decision. Research, you know, research indicates that, that diet drinks, even though they get rid of the sugar, aren't necessarily healthy for you either. Research indicates that the aspartame sweetener in diet soda may, not sure yet, they haven't made this conclusive, but may contribute to short-term memory loss. Research also suggests that diet soda may, may affect the metabolic rate in our bodies or even kidney function. And thirdly, research indicates that diet soda may contribute to short-term memory loss. I've thought a couple times about giving it up, but I haven't. You know why? Because my will is not in it yet. I I know some of the facts and the studies that are going on, but my will hasn't decided to do that. I have not enough willpower yet. I suspect the day will come when I will decide and my will will go for it, and I'll do it. But until your will is, is ready to make a commitment to these things, we don't change. Your will is an amazing power. Great acts of courage are what appear to be nearly superhuman moments of strength are amazing stories of survival in the most adverse of conditions, I think, are more of a result of the sheer will to survive than any other force. When God says, love him with all of our strength, he's calling for our willpower to make a commitment to him at the expense of any other object of worship, that he becomes our true focus. And and folks, I really believe that we live in a time when it will take great strength in the future to live out our commitment to Christ. The moral fabric of our culture is growing threadbare, and it will take even more willpower in the days ahead to stand firm in what we believe and to remain committed to loving him who is above all else. So I ask you this morning, is it truly your intention, your will, to make Jesus Christ your top priority? You see, it's your choice. You don't do this out of instinct. You must decide. Here's what I've learned through the years about physical exercise. This is the bottom line. Number one, I don't like it. (laughs) Number two, it hurts. Number three, I always feel better when I do. 
<laughs> I like what Bessie and Sadie Delaney said in an interview. They said, quote, God only gave you one body, so you better be nice to it. Exercise, because if you don't, by the time you reach our age, 103 and 105, you'll be pushing up daisies. <laughs> well, I think the Delaney sisters have more going for them than mere exercise, but it's a good point. Here's what I've learned about spiritual exercise. I don't really like it either. Inner change sometimes really hurts. But I'm always a better person. I always feel better when I follow God's plan for a healthy spiritual life. For spiritual growth, God didn't give us a gymnasium, but he did give us the church. And I know of no better source of help in this world. By the way, folks, a recent study shows that church attendance nourishes and strengthens the spiritual life, but does more than just that. People who regularly attend church live longer. Do you know that? In studying the relationship between religion and health, researchers came upon a strong and persuasive finding. Those who did not attend church lived an average of 75 years. People who attended but were less active in their attendance, but they did attend some, <laughs> lived 80 years. That's five more. If you attend once a week, the average is up to 82 years. And those who attend church more than once a week live on the average of 83 years. Research indicates that a person attending church weekly is less likely to become depressed, more likely to exercise, and more likely to develop positive habits. I've been telling you, it's a good thing to come to church. It's because, it's because when you are a part of the body, it's not just coming on Sunday, it's, it's being a part of the body. It helps us love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And when you do that, you are filled with life like you've never known it. When your doctor says you have an atrophied muscle, that's bad news. Some of us have atrophied spiritual muscles this morning, an atrophied spiritual heart, soul, mind, and will. You can change that today by drawing close to Him and living godly for Him.